Just boss you around here is treated like a god. I mean, I'll never find out what he could really do. I don't want this to be the high point of his life. I've seen him, the real sad ones. They sit around the rest of their lives talking about the glory days when they were 17 years old. You know, most people would kill to be treated like a god just for a few moments. John, tell us about the, you're, you know, you're, you were the manager, and the next year you're going to play. Tell us about leading up to your senior year at Lagodi. Okay, well, Billy, i got to give you some, some history uh, to kind of set the stage. Um, this is the second interview, and I want to tell you, you're in a little bit of trouble because I made seven pages of notes. That's the bad news. <laughs> the good news, they, they were three-by-three three Post-its. Uh, I still think, uh, in terms of basketball, I'm going to do a, a bird impression. There's a bird that whistles this way. I don't know if you can hear that. Every time I hear that, what I think is, move your feet, move your feet, move your feet from basketball practice, defensive drills. My kids get a kick out of when we're driving. If a car turns a certain way or another car is slow or whatever, I always say, well, that car's setting a pick for me so I can get around. All right. So basketball is never too far from my, my thoughts, but my, my, my introduction and, and, uh, to, to sports in Lagodi that's going to get me to my senior year eventually. Our first organized sport was Little League. Uh, Little League was maybe 60 kids and one adult. And the first day, the one adult, uh, the principal of the high school, Mr. Page, picked about the five oldest kids, and the kids drafted their own teams. Um, I, if I remember right, my first year I was drafted last. Uh, we never got dehydrated. Believe it or not, there weren't sports drinks. Our parents didn't come to the dugouts to bring us snacks and, and drinks, uh, partly because we didn't have dugouts and partly because we played all of our games in the middle of weekday mornings. It was Little League. It was kids playing ball. It was, there was no adult involvement. We didn't wear uniforms. So I'm telling you all that to tell you this. We made our own decisions. We decided who was going to play where, who was going to bat in what position, you know, who was going to bunt, uh, and, and all that business. And the lessons we learned were just were fantastic. Uh, one of the best ones is my, my best friend, Rex Sager, was the captain of my team uh, one year when I was good. Uh, and the all-star team was going to be the best two players off of each team as chosen by the team captain, not by any adults and not by Mr. Page. Um, I was the third best player on my team and I knew it, but Rex was my best buddy. So I thought I'll make the all-star team. Well, Rex picked the two best players and I didn't make it. So the lesson I learned was it's not who, you know, it's what you can do. And we learned so many valuable lessons and that was that way going all the way, you know, that, that you, you earned what you got. So I, I said the last time we talked that I, they, I made the seventh grade team as a sixth grader. And I've got to say that we had, uh, we had good coaches all the way through and I'm going to name some names. Uh, Lee Cavanaugh. Um, um, gosh, I can't, Charles Sims. 
was my freshman coach, track and, and cross-country coach, Tim Nanti. And you and I talked about uh, both having connections to that family. You ran into Tim's little, bro- little brother or son. Son. Was it Terry that you ran into yes, or Bruce? Terry. It was his son at, 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 at ISU. Uh, and then, of course, Jack Butcher. So we had we had great great coaches. Um, I probably the most memorable thing that happened to me uh, in junior high basketball. I uh, would have been an eighth grader. We were shooting free throws at the end of a practice, um, and we had to hit 15 free throws, and we had to run a lap for every free throw we missed getting to 15. What was memorable was I ran, ran 28 laps. I hit 15 out of 43, 43 free throws. Horrendous. Just horrendous. So the next game we play, the eighth grade team plays, we're playing Shoals, which is our county rival, and I get in with two seconds to go. Uh, we're, down, we're down a point. I get in with two seconds to go because somebody fouls out. Um, we take a last-second shot. It misses badly. The rebound falls in my hands. We've lost. We start to walk off the floor, and there's a referee going crazy, looking right at me and pointing and blowing a whistle. Man, all I did was stand there and, missed, and, and caught an air ball. I got fouled, evidently. So now with no time on the clock and us down one point, a 15 for 43 free throw shooter is going to the line to shoot a one and one. I don't even get to shoot two shots and have a chance to tie the game. You know, if I don't hit the first shot, we lose. Nobody's on the lane because there's no time on the clock. I'm the only person people are yelling at. And to make a long story a little less long, I hit them both. What are the chances? I hit them both. You know, that people talk about, well, I remember something like it happened yesterday. I remember like it happened 15 minutes ago. You know, there were some highlights early on before my senior year. Uh, I, it looks like looking at yearbook pictures, I probably started a few games my, uh, uh, on my freshman team. Uh, I would have been by, by far the worst of the, the, worst of the starters. Um, and I know that as a sophomore on the JV team, from time to time, we'd have somebody out. And this always cracked me up. Uh, the coach would say, okay, uh, Scott's out tonight. You're going to have to make up for him. You're going to have to score 10 or 12 points. You know, Billy, I'd always think if I could score 10 or 12 points just because you told me to, I'd be starting instead of Scott. <laughs> okay? So uh, one of the things that happened was uh, I didn't realize. I, I, I started school or my freshman year. I was 5'2 or 5'4. I didn't realize I was growing. And, and while I played ball through my sophomore year, I was still playing guard. Uh, and never blocked anybody's shot in my life. But my junior year, I played some pickup ball, and every once in a while I practiced with the JV. And there were times that um, I realized that I, I didn't, not so much that I was getting taller, but that I could jump. Uh, we were always taught when somebody goes in for a layup, even if it's a breakaway, you got to follow them because they might miss. And there were times that I would follow, and I'd jump in case they missed, and the ball would go in, and all of a sudden I'm kind of startled at how high off the ground I am. You know, so I was getting taller. I remember uh, in my junior year practicing once with the JV, and I blocked somebody's shot out of the air. Um, they shot from the baseline. I could, I could within a foot mark the place on the floor at Lagodi High School where he took the shot. I was guarding the center, so I got two or three steps, and 
and everybody was really was really kind of amazed. So I was growing, but I I didn't realize I was growing. So finally, I made I made the freshman team, or excuse me, the uh, the varsity team as a senior, uh, as what I've always called a deep sub. A deep sub is that probably ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth man. Um, deep subs. There are some things we think about that the starters and the and the first subs don't think about. Uh, you're, whether you have a good night or not is often determined by, by how good you are in warm-ups, whether you're hitting in warm-ups or not, because that may be the only time you'll shoot all night. Sometimes you want to you wanna gauge, you don't want to get sweaty during warm-ups because then you won't have to take a shower after the game because you're not going to play. You know, there's jockeying for deep subs. There's jockeying for who's sitting on the very end of the bench and who's sitting in the, the number, you know, the number nine spot. So the, most of us on the varsity really took seriously, you know, our, our deep sub role. But you're, you're, also, you're also calculating lead versus time left in the game, you know. And, and, and at some point you begin to look up the bench thinking, when are they going to look down here and realize we're up 20 with three minutes to go and we're not going to lose? You know, this was before three-pointers. Nobody's going to make a comeback. And once they start looking down the bench and they know, you know that they're going to put you in, you just are praying for a turnover. You're praying for a dead ball. It just seems like there are fewer dead balls at the end of a game, so you can't put the subs in. So that, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of where, I, you know, deep subs, you know where your parents are sitting, you know where your girlfriend's sitting. You know, there are just a lot of things that you think about that the, the players don't, uh, don't really think about, you know, the, the, the players who play all the time. So you make the team, and one of the, one of the things that, uh, at, uh, at Ligoti in those days that came with making the varsity is you had a gold blazer with a lion patch on the pocket. So we dressed. We wore nice pants. We wore dress shoes. We wore ties, and we wore these blazers. And the varsity would sit behind the, the B team during the B team game, and at the end of the third quarter, one of the one of the veterans on the varsity would stand up, and that would that's really kind of the start of the varsity game. All the varsity players stand up. We walk off the floor. The crowd roars because the varsity is getting ready to 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 get re- dressed to do battle. And I think there's some mental preparation to that. You know, the 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 word uniform means one form. Uh, everybody's identical, and the Blazers lent to that. All right, you were a, you were a team before you ever put on the team uniform. That blazer was part of the uniform. So, the first game of the season, uh, I, I, I'm I'm just going to make this contrast. The first game of the season, I didn't start, and the last game of the season, I did. And there was a gradual uh, increase in playing time over the course of the season. I did look up some things, as I said. We we played four centers in our first game. Um, and the centers combined had 17 points, 25 rebounds, and 16 fouls, way too many fouls. And our starting center that first game lost his job. He, he lost the starting job the first game. He had, uh, I, I don't know, he, he, he maybe had four, four points and three or four rebounds, and we had other centers who came in who did a better job than, than he did. Uh, I had two points and four rebounds in that, in that game. Um, we won our first two games, and uh, the pressure on us, there was some pressure on us to be really good because of course the year before they went to the state finals. Right. So 
you know, uh, in, in 1970, I don't know what their, you know, their big slogan was, but for us, it was going like 70, you know, the comparison started immediately going like 70. I thought, yeah, we traded a six, six, uh, forward for a five eleven forward and a six, five center for a, uh, a five eleven center going like 70. So the comparisons were there right off the bat. So we're 2-0, and and we go to play at Bar-Reeve. And Bar-Reeve was one of our biggest rivals. They're about 10 miles away. Our third game, we lose. And it really, it's kind of devastating to be 2-1. and You know, if we were only going to win two out of every three games, we weren't going to be going like 70. We weren't going to, be, we weren't going to begin to play the way we wanted to play. I, I remember when my, um, my son played basketball here in Terre Haute at one of the high schools. There was a parent meeting. And the coach talked about with some pride how they win 70% of their games. You know, they typically win 70% of their games. And I was thinking, wow, 14 and six, aren't you guys constantly disappointed? <laughs> you know, I mean, the junior year, they went 24 and four. My year, we went ended up, we ended up going 23 and four, you know, 70% of the games. So anyway, we, we, we lose to Bar Reeve. Um, then we go on a, uh, I think about a nine. No, we, uh, yeah, we went on a nine-game winning streak. Um, we we played Bloomfield, and this is before class basketball. Bloomfield is about 25 miles from Lagodi. Bloomfield and Lagodi were both ranked in the top 25 statewide. So I mean, we were playing good competition. Um, our 11th or 12th game was against Bar Reeve again, but it was a home game, and we beat them by two points. They they eked out a one-point win at Bar Reeve, and we slaughtered them by two at Lagodi. Okay. Now, I didn't play in that game either, but the Lagodi Bar Reeve game at Lagodi was noteworthy for this reason. Um, in those days, you could not, you could not dunk uh, in, in, in the game. It was a technical. This was another, I, I, I said last time, uh, Lou Alcinder and I didn't get to play freshman ball or varsity ball in college, they just had freshman teams. He, he wasn't allowed to dunk in games, and I wasn't either. <laughs> All right. And, yeah, and truthfully, uh, you couldn't even dunk in the warm-ups or it was a technical. But there were two of us who could dunk a basketball just barely, and the crowd loved it, and the team loved it. So what would happen during warm-ups is the captains would go out and meet with the referees, and the captains would position themselves so they were looking, the captains of our team were looking at us warming up, so the referees, to make eye contact with our captains, had to have their backs to our warm-up line so I could dunk the ball and the crowd could go crazy and the, um, and the refs wouldn't see it. Because, man, I can't imagine the deep sub having a game start with a technical because they dunked. <laughs> so there's a picture in the yearbook of me dunking. And part of the reason there's a picture in the yearbook of me dunking is because I was the yearbook editor. <laughs> All right? So we've got this picture that really didn't come into play until uh, two or three years later. Two or three years later, I met this girl at IU. Uh, as it turns out, this girl grew up about seven miles away from me, and she went to Bar Reeve. As it turns out, she was a cheerleader at Bar Reeve. As it turns out, in my high school senior yearbook picture of me dunking, the Bar Reeve cheer block is in the background and there's a girl who's a cheerleader in the front of that cheer block. This is going to choke me up a little bit. Uh, on 
the 24th of this month, I will have been married to that girl for 46 years. Oh, wow. You never know how basketball is going to connect you. No kidding. Uh, entirely a coincidence that she's in that picture and entirely a sports coincidence that I met her at IU. I was wearing a bar reef track singlet that somebody had, had found and she recognized it. Uh, 46 years. I love her now. Like I loved her then. So that was what was noteworthy in the bar reef game. We were 11 and one. Uh, we were getting near Thanksgiving and my memory wants to tell me we practiced on Thanksgiving afternoon. I think more realistically, we practiced the day after Thanksgiving, which a lot of years was a day off of practice. Uh, we had a player who I think the, the, the coach felt had a weight problem and he didn't want that player to have Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday to eat without a practice. <laughs> so we, we practiced the, 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 the day after Thanksgiving, um, we had a holiday tournament and the holiday tournament was interesting. We, we played, uh, North Davies, South Knox and North Knox. And I think the three games after the holiday tournament, we played North Davies, South Knox and North Knox. But during the holiday tournament, it was played at North Davies. Um, I, what I remember about it as a deep sub was that our, our player bench was in the cheer block was the first row of the cheer block. And I think either my girlfriend sat next to me or behind me, and I might have eaten some popcorn during the game. So I probably shouldn't have been surprised I didn't get in the game. All right. But, but the subs were really kind of steamed because we won the tournament, and both games we won by about 20 points, and we didn't play a second, which kind of violates every principle of deep subdom. I mean, you win by 20 points, you should get in at least with 30 seconds to go. I've talked before about about coach butcher being a genius. And I think that, that looking back on it, he knew that when we got to the tournament, we were going to play on a Friday night. We were going to play on a Saturday night. We we're going to play two nights in a row. And he might have to have his starters play all game Friday and all game Saturday. So while I was being a little egocentric and, and was, was a little hurt that I didn't get to play either of those games. I, I think that clearly he was preparing for the tournament and playing his guys the whole game, two nights in a row. So Sometimes when you're kids, you just aren't smart enough to figure out what the coach or what other adults are doing. Um, we lost two more times in the regular season. We, we, of course, the one to Bar Reeve I didn't play in. We lost to, um, to Bedford. Uh, this was before it was Bedford North Lawrence. We lost in overtime. Uh, there was a guy, I'd like to say his name was... Now I'm not going to say, I, I, I can't remember exactly. I had a guy that had came in with a, uh, about a 12 or 13 point average and he scored in the thirties over us and hit something like 15 out of 16 free throws. And he just gassed our, our center. Uh, I think I got to play cause I was in good shape and I could get up and down the floor and we played close. But for a guy who didn't play in a lot of games, I played a lot in that loss and we played against Orleans and got beat by, nine or 10. And I played a lot in that game. So it's kind of odd to not play in some close games, but to play a lot in our losses. Um, we get to the last game of the season. And at that point, we've already played 19 games. I didn't play in all of them, but by the end of 19 games, I had 15 points, 20 and 23 rebounds, which was less than uh, a point a game and just slightly over a rebound a game. That's the, the, the level of play. I played hard in practice, but 
you know, I, I was good for a point and a rebound if I played. Um, I, I, play, I started the last game of the season against Winslow and scored nine points and 15 rebounds. So that just came out of no place. You know, uh, I did everything I was always told to do. I blocked out on rebounds. I probably had four points just following guys on fast break layups, and they missed the layups. And as they rolled off the rim, I put them in. You know, I just did what we did in practice. I did what I was told to do. Uh, nine points and 15 rebounds. So a game like that, well, that's a great surprise, but that can be looked at as a fluke, okay? So the next week we're practicing uh, for sectional week, which is going to start on uh, Thursday. Um, Thursday we played Washington Hatchets, a, a traditional – I don't know if they're a traditional rival. They were from a bigger school. The Hatchets won the Washington sectional for, sectional for years and years and years. Uh, and I didn't play at all that Thursday game. So I went from nine points, 15 rebounds to zero seconds played Friday morning early. The coach pulls me out of class, wants to meet me in the guidance office on the way to the guidance office. I see a couple of students throwing up, vomiting in the hallway. The coach sits me down and he says that, uh, Two of our starters, Brian Canada, the all-time leading scorer, and Steve Beasley, one of our centers, they're not even coming to the game. And I'm thinking, well, that's a nice courtesy that he's letting me know, and I'm wondering why he's telling me this. <laughs> well, he's telling me, you're going to start. Well, you know, I don't know whether that was a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, I'd only started one game before, but it was, you know, I had a really good game, and so I had all day to think about starting. Um, and I really um, – once the other players realized I was going to starting, you know, tremendous support from my, my teammates. Uh, and I've talked about this, this game some anyway, b both of these. The Washington Catholic game was the one where I just got chewed up the first quarter. And then we pressed, and uh, our, our guards made me look good. I found a quote, uh, oh, yeah, in that, that John Olson sparked a third-quarter press. Well, I'm going to give credit where credit's due again. Paul Brunner and Tony Smith picked their guards up, made them pick the ball up higher on the court than they should have, made the passes into the interior longer. I could come around and make steals. So I didn't, I, I was the, um, I reaped the benefits of the press, but I didn't have a bad game. I, I, I scored uh, eight points and had 13 rebounds. And one of the highlights, um, Washington Catholic had a six, seven center. And now, I'm again doing this interview from my uh, from my truck out in front of Terre Haute South High School, and I walk through that school at passing period, and I'm amazed. It's a school of about 1,500 students. I'm amazed at how many kids there are who are taller than me. I'm a little under 6'3", and I think our coach would have just been salivating over all of this height. You know, height was a was a rare commodity. We had a six, seven kid move in one time and the coach was so excited until he took him down to the, uh, to the gym and the, the kid couldn't jump up and touch the rim. <laughs> he couldn't jump to a conclusion. All right. But Washington Catholic, Washington Catholic had a six, seven kid and he was good. And I, I blocked him out on a rebound. Uh, but he and I both grabbed the ball. I pulled the ball down in front of me. He had his arms around me with his hand on the ball. Our crowd was going crazy wanting a foul, but he really didn't touch me. He tied the ball up, and we jumped against each other. So here's a, probably a four-year, 6'7 starter jumping against uh, a 6'2 
former student manager and sub, and I got the tip on him. Okay. Well, our crowd went, went crazy. You know, they were just kind of, they, they, they were behind me after the last game of the regular season. Boy, they were really getting on board because I started and was coming, was coming through. I got this tip. It was like, I wished I'd had some lead to touch and turn into gold. It was kind of like that, you know. Uh, so we win the game. And now we're going to go into the sectional final. And this had never happened to me before. They sent me home with heat packs wrapped to my calves to keep from getting cramps. This was, uh, uh, I, this didn't happen all the time, but on back-to-back games, I think, I think our starters were probably used to this. Uh, there was a, a substance called Kramer Jesic. You were, you were a manager. Did you ever run into this? Oh, Kramer Jesic. The, the, the Kramer yeah. brand is, is, is everything that we use, but yeah, I remember that. Okay. So this is like a, a, a thick grease, except it generates some heat. You don't want to have that on your hands and adjust your jock. I'll just leave it there. That stuff burns. <laughs> so not only did I get heat packs on my calves to go home, but they sent me home with a piece of steak to have for breakfast. I mean, our coach was ahead of his time, and they didn't take any chances. They wanted to make sure we were going to eat well and so on. So I'm going home, not necessarily with the knowledge that I'm going to start the next night, but maybe I'm going to play. You know, so uh, in the morning uh, or, or during the day, I should say, Tony Smith, who was a uh, starter the year before, played varsity, dressed varsity four years. And Rex Arvin, who was another deep sub, but a good buddy of mine, they came over early. They were uh, they were trying to keep me loose. You know, I, I still was kind of in this this fog of uh, uh, it's just hard to it's, it's just hard to describe to people how you go from zero to 60 and, 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 and how to, how to process it all. So we're playing, we're playing Barry for the championship. And that's the third time we played them this, you know, they, they beat us by one. We beat them by two. Now we're playing them for the championship. Hey, John was, 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 John was, was coach Todd, uh, uh, Todd rank, the uh, coach at uh, Barry at yes, that time. Joe okay. Todd rank. Okay. Joe, Joe Todd rank. And I've, uh, and he was one of, you know, my wife was a junior at Bar Eve. He was one of her teachers. I've run into him several times, uh, several times since. Uh, and he realizes, you know, it was kind of flukish. We had two guys coming back from being sick. Uh, uh, Beasley in Canada did play, did start against Bar Eve uh, after having the flu the night before. Bar Eve's one of their starters. Uh, I think he was messing around and jumped off of a car and twisted his ankle and, and didn't get to play. I've heard that plenty over the years that they weren't at full strength, but you play with who you've got. Exactly. So we, we start and it's a, it's a tight game. And, and actually Bar Reeve uh, has the lead early in that game, but they start to get into some foul trouble. And late in the second quarter, uh, it's a close game. We're, we're maybe down one or two, but late in the second quarter, Bar Reef has a wonderful guard uh, named Glenn Craney. Uh, he has been a, a, a judge, I think a federal judge. He's an author now. Just a, just a really good guard. He picked up his third foul, and they pulled him out and put in a sophomore. Uh, the sophomore went on to be a really great guard, but you put, brought a sophomore in against our two very experienced guards, and they – they made life miserable for him. At the same time that Bar Reeve 
took out their guard for foul trouble. They took out our center. He had two fouls. They didn't want him to get his third, and he'd missed the night before with the flu, and they wanted to give him rest. So with two minutes to go in the half, throw me in. You know, I, I can't screw things up too much. And I've got to tell you, though, the crowd was chanting my name. <laughs> they were chanting for me to get in. I was aware of it, and I think a good player, I think a starter wouldn't be aware of it. And I didn't know what to make of it. But when they put me in, there was a roar, and by halftime in the last two minutes, I had four points. So I didn't hurt us. Uh, I didn't realize till afterwards that, that one of my – and both of my baskets were tip-ins. One of my tip-ins put us ahead for, for good. You know, it's, it, we didn't run out to a big lead, but we never trailed again. But that's, you know um, – they started me the third quarter again to rest our center, and I'm sure the idea was once the magic wore off, you know, they could pull me out and you know put a starter back in. It looks like I played the entire third quarter. Uh, fourth quarter, they they brought our starting center back in, and we went into our four corners offense. Well, they called a four quarters offense, a corners offense. We called it three out, two under. We had. Three guys out top, our two experienced guards plus Brian Canada, who played guard in college, uh, they did kind of a, a, a weave. Uh, and we had two guys that stood in the, the, the baseline corners. And in consecutive games, I think in the um, Friday night, are, are you getting – somebody's calling me. Are you getting this beat? I am not. Okay. Then I'll, I'll, I'm going to ignore it then. Uh, in in, in – Two consecutive nights in the fourth quarter, I think we hit uh, eight out of nine shots. Uh, we only took layups, and that's the way we practiced. We only took layups in practice off the fourth quarter. So it was very, very efficient. It was not intended to stall. And Ligoti, in, in later years, played some of these you know, 11 to 12 ball games, these stall ball games. We, we didn't – ours was intended to score, but only layups. So um, – I ended up scoring 10 points in that game. The only time I ever scored 10 points, I had five rebounds, which is tied for high rebounding. Uh, with a few, with under a minute to go, I got fouled and went to the free throw line uh, to shoot two shots. And, uh, you know, my highlight free throw shooting career was hitting a one and one in eighth grade after going 15 for 43 in practice. All right. But I hit the two shots. What's noteworthy about that was there was a senior deep sub from Bar Reeve uh, who who came in in the last minute who's been my brother-in-law for 46 years. Oh wow! So the first time I ran into my brother-in-law was was on the basketball court. My my wife I didn't really run into her. She was in a background picture was on a basketball court. Uh, and I should say that when we lost at Bar Reeve, um, we had to drive through the town of Montgomery. We had to go buy this, oh, my gosh, this farmer redneck bar. It's called the Farmer's Bar. You know, it was a place we thought that anybody from Ligoti would, would be killed. You know, <laughs> it, just, it, it just had the reputation of just being so totally bar reef. Okay, so uh, uh, that's my father-in-law's bar. <laughs> I, I didn't. So... So I really jumped into Bar Eve with both feet. So we, we, we win the Bar Eve game. We're the sectional champs. And I'm going to read something to you. This is, this is, uh, um, I, uh, this is verbatim. Uh, I, have the, I have the audio tapes from the radio broadcast. 
after we win, of course, the crowd rushes the floor. We're getting ready to cut down the nets. The first person the radio uh, announcer can, can grab is Tim Nante, who's my JV coach. Uh, and they said, um, the, the announcer says, you have a fine ball club out there, real fine guards. And Coach Nante says, yep, a super sub out there. Our last year's student manager did a whale of a job. Announcer was also the manager last year, Nante. He was a student manager last year, yes. Announcer, he came off the bench last night and had 15 rebounds. Nante, I think he had 10 points this evening. This was the first person he talked about, and the announcer said, yeah, we had these fantastic guards. They started in the state finals last year. They, they were instrumental in, in, in running our team. They went to me, the deep sub. Then they get a hold of Coach Butcher, and I'm reading this for every deep sub, every kid that, don't, that doesn't think they get to play enough, every parent who thinks their kid's going to play more because they're going to interfere. I'm reading this verbatim for all of those people. The announcer says to Coach Butcher, we were kidding Tim up here a while ago, and we asked if you have any more student managers you're going to bring up. <laughs> Coach Butcher, well, John has done an outstanding job, no question about that. He was a student manager for us last year. He came out as a freshman and sophomore, just a little bitty skinny kid, and ended up that he didn't play at all, of course, when we got all the boys from St. John's. We did have to limit the number of kids on the varsity, and usually juniors, they're either cut or they move up to varsity. Old John wanted to come out this year, and we had a suit, and he's done a real fine job. I think it is important. I think it is an important factor in any athletic contest, and certainly our boys do have good attitudes, and John's is right up at the top. I think this is really what has carried him as far as it has. He talked about attitude. He didn't talk about 15 rebounds. He didn't talk about 10 points. He talked about a person that wanted to be on the team so bad they were a manager for a year and a person who worked hard in practice. I take great pride in him talking about attitude. And this is nothing against my parents, although parents today may think, well, they didn't help you at all. That's the point. They don't, parents don't have to help their kids be successful in sports. They shouldn't have to. The only reason that parents have to help their kids be successful in sports is because the parents are competing against other parents. If parent A is going in and talking to the coach about playing time, then parent B has to. My parents didn't interfere in any way, shape, or form. So anything that happened to me athletically was because of the attitudes they instilled in me and how I applied that to sports. So the next little phase over the weekend was probably the most confusing thing to me altogether. Uh, I think about Rex Sager and Brian Canada and Tony Smith and Jim Trout and Paul Bruner, the starters on the, the, uh, the state finalist team. And these guys who are stars, I don't think people understand the, the scrutiny they're in, uh, they're under. I, I met my, with my girlfriend after the sectional championship and we went down to talk to her parents at a restaurant in town in Lagodi. I walked in and got a standing ovation. I walked into church next day and everybody clapped before the service started. I had, there was a Southern Indiana basketball magazine called Hoopla that, uh, that had two or three paragraphs just about the object lesson of being a good teammate. And, and, you know, it was like, uh, I just didn't, I just don't know, didn't know how to deal with the attention. Uh, 
over three over uh, playing three games over a four game span. The the first game of sectional I didn't play at all. I went from less than a point a game and slightly over a rebound a game to nine points and eleven rebounds a game over three games. So it's not it, it it's not a fluke at that point. But I'm not Brian Canada who scored almost seventeen hundred points in his high school career. You know, I'm not Jim Trout who scored over averaged over twenty. My average was forty points. I averaged 40 points for an entire career. I played one year, I scored 40 points. We, we've had guys at Lagodi, I think Dave Hawkins may have scored more. I think we had a couple of guys who scored more than 40 points in a game. And I just began to wonder, how do these guys cope with everybody knowing them and making a comment and uh, you're going to have a good game again tonight and, and so on and so forth. It, it really was, it was humbling. You might think it would give you a big head and maybe for some people it was, maybe it's the way I was raised. It really made me humble. I really didn't want to talk too much about it. So then we go on to the regional and, and, uh, uh, we, we played Terre Haute Gerstmeyer, which is, uh, uh, Terre Haute at one time may, may have had Vigo County may have had 10 or 12 high schools. Uh, Gerstmeyer was a powerhouse. Uh, coach Howard Sharp was the all time winningest high school coach. Coach Butcher was catching him. This was going to be Gerstmeyer's last uh, last season because the next year they would become Terre Haute North High School. We outscored Gerstmeyer something like thirty-four to seventeen in the first half. I mean, at one, I mean, we were just killing them. And the second half, they outscored us thirty-three to seventeen, meaning we won by a point. We won by a point, and they missed two or three last-second shots. And living in Terre Haute for the last 40 years or so, I run into a lot of Gerstmeyer people, a lot of former players, a lot of former fans. Um, I, I really would like the newspaper to do a series on the 50th anniversary that'll be a year from now of that game because it was big town versus small town, the all-time winningest coach against the guy would take over for him. Uh, Gerst, they, they're, they're just a lot of subplots. So to me, basketball as I've gotten older, the game is just the surface, everything that's behind it, who plays and who doesn't and why they play. There are so many interesting stories. So we, we ended up winning our, uh, our, our regional. We went to some estate, uh, won the morning game in the some estate against the tell city who had a six, seven kid. Um, his dad, his dad's name was Locke Mueller. This kid's name was Locke Mueller. Uh, we, we won that by a point. They had a last second shot and, and missed it. Um, this Steve Lockmuller played uh, freshman ball for the university of Kentucky next year, ran into him there. And so the night game of the summer state, uh, I ended up playing, we lost, uh, we played Floyd central. What was interesting was Floyd central was a, um, I guess you'd call it a County school or they considered a rural school. It's in Floyd County, but they played Jeffersonville, new Albany, those city schools, Floyd Central called themselves the Super Hicks because they were the country school. Floyd Central was twice as big as Ligoti. So it was funny that the year before when we were playing Carmel, uh, Ligoti was portrayed as this rural you know, farm school. The next year, they didn't portray us as anything, but uh, Floyd Central, were, they were the Hicks. And in fact, their, their uh, coach said if they won the Summer State, he would drive from the Summer State gym back to whatever town it was on a tractor. You know, so just lots of hoopla. I, we were we were just outgunned in that game. They had more size, more talent. This was a team that scored 43 points in one quarter during the regular season. 
41 points, let's make it. I know it was over 40. Can you imagine that, Billy? 41 points in a quarter. They had an Indiana All-Star who ended up going to Kentucky to play. Um, Tony Smith and I disagree about this a little bit. I didn't feel like we were ever in the game. We, we lost by nine, I think, uh, our second biggest loss of the season. Uh, we may have been within seven with a couple minutes to go, but they they were used to playing a run and gun. It's kind of like in Indiana, the farther south you went, the faster the play was. We we pressed and, and we scored about 69 points a game on average. They were farther south than us. They pressed the whole game, and they, they got a lot of points on the fast break. So, you know, season was over. It was a really good season. Uh, we did more with less talent than the team the year before us, we, we had the comparison of going like 70, and we were one game shy of the uh, uh, state finals. Um, there's a saying, you know, you, you talk about something happening to somebody, and there's a saying that the, the, the harm's already been done. For me, the benefit had been done. I'd had an experience really starting with the last game of the regular season, but mainly in that sectional, I had an experience that, um, it wasn't a fluke and I couldn't undo. And I really couldn't look at myself the same way after, after having that success. And it wasn't just the success. It was the cards and letters from people, people stopping me on the street, people who I'd known forever. And, and they were always my fans, but just, just the, the appreciation that they showed or how glad they, they were that, that, uh, that I'd gotten my big chance. And there were a few haters too, not hating me, hating the coach. He should have played you all along. You know, you could have done this all season long. And I've said in print, I've said in interviews, and I'll say again, absolutely not. I got as much playing time as I should have had throughout the entire season. I wouldn't have changed a thing. Uh, I think the people who, who, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, and, and they can think all they want that they just got to remember I had four points and a couple of rebounds in the first game of the season and a lot of games that I got in and didn't score much at all. So it, 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 was, it was a nice springboard to college. And so now I'm getting ready to go to college. Uh, I wanted to get a head start on college, so I went to summer school. Uh, it was a six- or seven-week summer school uh, before my freshman year. Uh, I think I mentioned this last time. More people called me Lagodi than John because everybody knew about Lagodi basketball. IU was just 50 miles away. Uh, I played really well in intramural leagues and in pickup games, and I played with a lot of confidence. And uh, it, it just it just happened that uh, a, a guy who played freshman as a walk-on the year before me lived on the same um same floor in the dormitory, talked me out to going out as a walk-on. So I've gone through the process that got me onto the freshman team. Um, the freshman team had to have walk-ons because Bob Knight got a late, he got hired late at IU and his recruiting got a late start. Um, just to kind of show you where I stand with, with Coach Knight, of all the players that he's ever had play for him, uh, all the players who came from Lagodi that played for him, all the the players who came from Sycamore Street, where I lived, who played for him. All the players who came from Lagodi, Sycamore Street, whose initials were J.O., who played for him. I was the second best. We had a kid up the street named John O'Malley, who played for the undefeated St. John's Eagles the season before 
uh, it, it was the 68-69 season, he played for Coach Knight at Army. So just think about that. <laughs> I wasn't even the best kid on my street in Ligoti with the same initials who played for Coach Knight. So Coach Knight had to he, – he, he, he had to get some recruits. Uh, he had some great ones. He had John Laskowski from South Bend, St. Joe, and uh, Steve Allfeld, who's still the, the team orthopedic surgeon from – uh, from Wabash, Indiana, Steve Green uh, from Silver Creek, and his one-year-older brother RT played at ISU. I played with Steve on the freshman team the next year. One of my favorites was John Les- or, uh, John Campstra, who was about a six-two forward from Little Rossville. One of the most clever players. Uh, we had a couple guys that transferred. We had a four-year deep sub named Doug Allen, who was six-four, <clears throat> and probably if the coach said go kill this guy he'd have done it he was one of the 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 roughest uh most rugged hardcore guys um and we needed we needed three walk-ons so uh jeff lowe who died in a traffic accident probably before he hit age 30 he was from shelbyville indiana he played as a walk-on i made it as a walk-on and we had a really quick guard named i believe his name was kenny davis oh my gosh i don't think both of his feet both of his feet were never on the ground at the same time, and often neither foot was on the ground. He was so fast. I think he appealed to Coach Knight because he 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 uh, the first during tryouts he wore a uh, he'd come in wearing what we'd call a Smokey the Bear hat, looked like a state trooper hat, but it was really a military hat. He was a veteran. He'd already been through. Uh, he was probably 23 years old. He'd had three or four years of service. Kenny was really good, but I think that he realized pretty early on he'd had enough of taking orders and so he dropped off the team pretty quickly so we had nine guys on the freshman team and we we practiced with the varsity so here's our our first meeting with coach knight and let me say coach knight uh i believe was going to be the coach at either university of minnesota or university of wisconsin i can't remember which one uh he had interviewed he had accepted the job wisconsin. Uh, a couple of contingents Wisconsin. Okay. One of the contingencies was that he wanted to go back and tell his players at army that he was leaving. He didn't want any word to get out before he went back to army and talked to his players before he could get back to army and talk to his players. Word got out. And what I was always told was he told the university of Wisconsin, I can't trust you. I can't trust you with the first thing I asked. I'm not taking the job. So Indiana got it. Indiana was coming off of coach Lou Watson uh, he had a ton of talent. He had George McGinnis, Steve Downing, John Ritter. He had some great players, but very undisciplined. And Coach Knight's uh, uh, reputation was a disciplinarian. Um, I remember the first time we met him. We we didn't see him at all during scrim during preseason scrimmage because it was illegal. So the first time we see him, we have about uh, twenty thirty guys in a semicircle, standing out in a big open area. This is the day before practice starts. Coach Knight is about 6'5". He leans forward at the waist when he walks. So as he's coming towards you, he, he looks like he's coming faster than he is, and he's leaning in. And you, you kind of, the look on his face and all, this is before we really knew any of his reputation. He, he's a little on the intimidating side. He walks up to the first player. This is 19... Uh, 1971 fall of 1971 he looks at the first player points at him and says don't come back until you get your hair cut 
And that's the way he goes around the whole circle. Don't come back until you get your hair cut and practices the next day. Doesn't matter whether you're a scholarship player or what. My hair wasn't super long. By the time he got to me, I was able to wet it and put it behind my ears. So there are a few of us who didn't have have to get our hair cut. But I'll bet you everybody had a haircut by the time they came back the next day. So that that was the first impression. Another early impression, and then I'll get to practices, which were really my games. Another early impression was the, uh, the, the Bloomington Kiwanis Club had a uh, preseason banquet for the, the, for the team. And, and so all of us, including the freshman players, got plunked down uh, at a table with people we didn't know, townspeople, Kiwanis members and their spouses, and Coach Knight uh, talked. And the only thing I can remember him saying is telling the Kiwanis in, in particular and the fans in general, the boosters in general, stay away from the players. I don't want any problems with, uh, with, 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 with money, with jobs. Stay away from the players. And my thought was it sounded pretty rude to me. Once I heard more history from other players and so on, I, I think that's exactly what he was hired to do, was to clean up some things that may not have been on the up and up. So you knew where you stood with Coach Knight all the time. Uh, you knew in the drills, you, you know, he, um, I'll tell you that there are very few personal stories between with, with me and coach Knight. So I'll, I'll tell the few that there are, uh, early in the season, we were practicing against the varsity and I went up for a shot on the baseline and something blocks out all the lights. It turns out it's Steve Downing, who's six, six played for the undefeated, uh, Indianapolis, Washington high school state champions a couple of years before he blocks his shot, probably with his, my shot, probably with his armpit. Uh, <laughs> coach stops the practice and, and he, he really guards weren't encouraged to shoot, but I got a rebound on the baseline, put it up and he asked me what I was doing. And I just looked at him and said, coach, I've never played against a guy this big. I mean, it was true. Never anybody who was this tall, never anybody who could jump like this, you know, and he wasn't, he wasn't in my half of the court when I started to wind up for my shot. You know, he flew in out of no place. Coach didn't really say much about it, but late in the season, we had the identical thing happen. Uh, the sky is, you know, the lights are blocked out again in desperation. I throw up a shot that scrapes the corner of the backboard. I'm on the baseline. It scrapes the corner of the backboard and goes in and coach stops. And, and he asks me some question, and I led him to believe that that was my plan. Obviously, he and everybody else knew it was absolute desperation, you know, and he laughed. He had a good sense of humor. Uh, I can't – well, he, he would often ask questions and, and bet a steak dinner on it. They were – sometimes they were a little on the profane side, but he had a, he had a good sense of humor uh, as well as having somewhat of a temper. He knew exactly what you should be able to do. And I remember, again, late in the season, uh, I knocked a pass out of bounds. I was on defense and knocked a pass out of bounds. And my first thought was, I was a step out of position, and I know I was. I should have had a steal. And as soon as I had that thought, Coach Knight yells, you were a step out of position. If you were where you're supposed to be, you'd have had that as a steal. He always knew what you, what you were capable of. And that's why in uh, late in blowout games, in varsity games, in close games, he wouldn't call a timeout because he'd taught you what you were supposed to do. Right. 
late in blowout games, he would call a timeout, and sportscast people would go nuts because he would be reaming a player. He expected you to play the right way all the way through the game. If you didn't, you were in trouble. So I'm going to sum up my my freshman my freshman career with this. I I was one for six from the field. The one was a shot from the top of the key that banked in. No, I didn't call it. Uh, there was always a risk if I if I inbounded the ball as a guard. There's a risk of it being stolen. Uh, if I dribbled it up court, court, there was a greater risk of being stolen. So what we kind of adapted to do was one of the better guards would inbound it to me and cut past me, and I'd hand it off. Probably the most scared I was in any game was John Campstra's wife was pregnant, was going to have a baby, so he missed the game. So now we're down to eight players. Another guard got into foul trouble. It looked like I was going to be forced to play a lot of guard. That scared the heck out of me. I just was – I was way out of I was way out of my my league, so I want to say a couple things uh, uh, to 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 kind of summarize my my career at Lagodi and at, at IU, if that's okay. Sure. Um, and I'm I'm going to start with IU. I may have guarded in practice. I may have guarded one of the smartest players to ever play at IU, and John Ritter, who was an Indiana All Star for Goshen. He was six five or maybe 6'6", six, six if he fluffed his hair, uh, wasn't a great jumper, was extremely smart, and he, to me, became the key to Coach Knight's motion offense. An emotion offense is a set of rules, not a set of plays, but a set of rules. If this happens, then these options go into effect. If this happens, these options go into effect. There's nothing mechanical about it, and guard brings it down uh, uh they decide which side of the floor they're going to bring it down but the guy who played john ritter's position decided which set of rules went into effect so i knew what the rules were but i knew that as soon as i reacted to try to cut off one thing he would do something else that was it was uh i i got the quote right i looked it up and and coach knight said the mental is to physical as four is to one he coached those guys to be smart and to think about what they were doing. He asked one time in a practice, this was one of the quietest times. He said, he stopped the practice. And he said, who's the best shooter on the floor? Boy, you, you talk about no eye contact. Everybody drops their eyes and they're looking around. And he says, you mean to tell me that we're going to get down to the end of a game and nobody knows who's the best shooter on the floor? Well, somebody reluctantly said such and such, you know, is the best shooter, you know, there was there was no vanity to it. There was no saving anybody's feelings. You had to be smart enough to know who the best shooter was. There was a there was a senior on the varsity when I was a fresh playing on the freshman team named Rick Ford. And Rick Ford had been an Indiana All Star. And Rick Ford to me was kind of he wasn't really coordinated and smooth looking. And th- and he he played mostly at the end of games. And you'd think, oh my gosh, this guy looks almost like a human turnover. His senior year, he was 60 of 64 from the free throw line. Rick Ford was the guy you wanted in at the end of games. Jerry Memring from Vincennes was the guy you wanted to shoot or shoot free throws at the end of games. John Ritter was the guy you wanted to make the decisions on your motion offense. So guarding John Ritter was was an education and an honor. And, And one other comment I want to make about John Ritter is I believe John Ritter and Coach Knight more than anybody else, and I would challenge anybody to come up with uh, competition on this claim, 
I believe those two are more responsible for the popularity of drawing the charging foul than anybody else. Coach Knight, we practiced, we took, we had these awful charging foul. When you're my size and a guy like Joby Wright, who is probably 220, 230, and 6'8", when you're taking a charge from him, oh my gosh, it's horrible. We, we practiced taking the charging fouls, but John Ritter was smart enough on defense to see when a guy was going to beat his man and go all the way to the basket. John Ritter could take a charging foul and sell a charging foul. And I think that those two, Coach Knight and John Ritter, to some extent revolutionized basketball by turning the charging foul into a weapon. Um, now I want to go back to high school. I thought a lot about it, and you know, uh, certainly washing the laundry and, and polishing the basketballs was a contribution, and 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 uh, practicing against the varsity my my senior year and and playing some against the JV was a contribution. But in thinking long and hard about it, I, the the thing I'm the proudest of in playing for Lagodi High School was that I guarded Brian Canada in practice almost every day. Brian was a junior. I was a senior. He's still Lagodi's all-time leading scorer. In fact, about, uh, I think, two weeks from Friday, two weeks from Friday, we're having the 50th anniversary reunion of that state finalist team. I know Brian is, Canada is going to attend, and they've asked him uh, to speak to the, the team before their ball game. He's still the leading scorer. The work that I put in and tried to put in making – practice difficult for him and how hard I worked at it. I don't have any idea whether he, he, he may have appreciated the breather during the week, <laughs> but for me, looking back, that's what I'm most, most proud of is the defense I played in practice against Brian Canada. And then Billy, I, I, I'd never thought of this before. And this has turned into quite a regret. My best friend growing up, Rex Sager, we did everything together. I mean, played every sport, got into every kind of fun and, and, and trouble you know, I never played on a team with him, never played on a basketball team with him. He was practicing, playing JV and, and, uh, and varsity when I was a freshman. When I was a sophomore, he was exclusively varsity. When I was a junior and a manager, he was playing varsity. And then, of course, the next year he graduated. And it's, it's, it, it makes me sad that all those years that we spent together, we never, we never played on the same team. So, uh, I've gained, I gained tremendously from those programs and those coaches. It really, um, more than anything, is, has inspired me to try to teach people to think, kids to think. I'll tell you a quick story. I hope it's quick. Uh, my daughter, when she was about five, we, we went to breakfast one morning at Bob Evans, and she left her purse behind. I don't know exactly what a five-year-old keeps in a purse, <laughs> but she left her purse behind at five at, at the Bob Evans. So. Uh, we did some coaching with her, got her to uh, probably at that time, we had push-button phones. We were probably past rotary phones. Uh, had her in her little five-year-old voice call Bob Evans, explain who she was. She left her purse behind. They verified that she had it. She said, we'll be right down. Uh, we walked in. She asked for the person she talked to on the phone. She got her purse. I'm not sure that I said a word. We were starting to teach her how to think for herself when she was five, she's 45. Now she can think for herself and a lot of other people. It, it, it made me just, uh, um, always yesterday I had to help a kid get his, uh, drone 30 feet out of a tree. 
and we did some problem solving. We did some apologizing. So those coaches and my parents taught me to think for myself, think in novel ways, to be responsible, uh, to look at everything as a challenge that can be overcome. As I said, for me, the benefit was done a long, long time ago. So I hear people talk about high school. You know, those were the best days of my life. I always look at tomorrow having the potential to be my best day. And I got all that. I've got that. I've got other sports and, you know, we can, but we can boil this down if we want to, to basketball. Basketball has uh, uh, largely, I won't say it's made me the person I am today. Bar- basketball equipped me to become the person that I am today. That's, that's kind of what I've got. <laughs> hey, I know we're, we're running long once again. Man, we can make this a, a, a weekly thing. But tell me, tell me, is it the, the competition in Southern Indiana high school basketball? I'm still on high school basketball. Is it, is it a passion or is it a hatred? There, I mean, what were, your, what were some of your favorite places to go to play high school basketball besides your home gym there in Lagodi? Um, uh, what did you run it? Did you run into passionate fans? Did you run into, uh, fans that, uh, uh, didn't like Lagodi? You understand where I'm getting, you know, I would say for some of the adults there, there could have been, there could have been hatred. You know, uh, we had a shoe on the floor once a watch. Somebody said a pair of false teeth coins from time to time. This didn't happen frequently. The, you know, the adults don't have any other way, I guess, to express themselves. All these guys that we played, Bar Reeve, Bloomfield, uh, Shoals, we knew these guys. We played them in every sport. You know, in basketball, you're warming up. You don't get a chance to talk to them. When you play track, you run track and cross country with these guys, you talk to them, you know, before you compete or in baseball. So we knew these guys. You know, it wasn't like we were going to their schools and playing pickup baseball, but we knew who they were. They knew who – I can't really say that there was – there were guys who weren't your favorite players because they were dirty – but there were guys that you had a ton of respect for. Uh, I wrote I, I wrote my book and I, I wrote a, a little bit about the uh, uh, our game against Bloomfield and I mentioned that, that those guys were studs. Those guys were all pretty physically developed, even as junior high students. They were they were strong and had defined muscles as high school players. So you fast forward about 45 years, one of them's doing a radio show and he. He likes the fact that I referred to him as a stud in my book, and he's <laughs> laughing about it. I can't say that I knew him, but I knew of him. He knew of me. No animosity. So it was competition. We, all, we wanted to win. We wanted to beat him. But uh, I, don't, I don't remember there being ever any trash talking. Trash talking, you know, winning is, winning is the best argument. You win, you score on a guy. Why do you need to say anything else? So th- th- we had our traditional rivals. But I, I can't say that there was I, I, I can't say that there was uh, any hatred amongst you know um, amongst the players. Um, Rex Seger elbowed guys. I'm sure he got elbowed by guys. You know there was a player from Springs Valley when I got in late in the game. He punched me in the back twice. In fact, in the summer state final, the year that uh, Lagodi went to the state finals, uh, there was a um, an Indiana All Star from Seymour who punched Brian Cannon in the back a couple of times. You know, there were players that you didn't like dirty play, but, uh, and it was the same thing, you know, at, uh, 
again, I was the lowest man on the totem pole at IU. Purdue was a traditional rival. Steve Green had played in all-star games with these other all-stars. When, when our freshman team played the Kentucky all-stars, he'd been on the all-star team with Steve Lockmuller and, and Jerry Hale from Floyd Central. So you wanted to beat them. I think the, the, the hatred, so to speak, is more from a fan's perspective. You know, uh, just take IU and Purdue. I want, I want Purdue to win every game that they possibly can unless it's going to hit, hurt IU in the standings. You know, in, when we get to the NCAA tournament, I want the I want the Big Ten teams to win every game they play. Unless it's I'm not I'm not any anti fan of any school. I'm pro IU. I'm pro Big Ten. The only time I'm against the team is if it's going to hurt IU's chances. John, what's it like? I mean, tell me about you know you went to Lagodi, you know years ago. What's it like to be a part of the family? Uh, there's a, there's a complication in it to be a part of that, the, the, the immediate family. It's great because everybody's a family member. Uh, when I go to this reunion, uh, I'm going to go as a manager on that team. I wasn't a player. I'm part of the family, but I know I wasn't a player. It's a little different than, than the next year where I was a key player during the tournament, but everybody knows what Lagodi basketball was and, and, and what that meant. Uh, Outside of that, it's kind of like, I don't want to say it's nobody's business, but let me tell you that I am a husband of 46 years, a father of 45 years, a grandfather of 21 years, a psychologist of 35 years, a woodworker of nearly 50 years. I can go on and on and on, and somewhere down the list, I played freshman ball at IU and I played varsity ball at Ligoti. What bothers me, and there are still people who introduce me as having played for Bob Knight, that, is, that, that was one year out of 66. I was the lowest man on the totem pole. I played in, in Coach Knight's program. As a, that, that, that may define me for other people, or that may tell more about me. Other people may feel like that tells more about me in one sentence than anything else, but I've grown to, to, to kind of resent that. That is, like I said, that didn't make me the person that, that I am. That equipped me for me to make myself the person that I am. So family membership is, uh, to me is, 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 kind of, is kind of touchy. You know what? You were a manager and I was a manager. And you and I talked uh, you know, off, off the air about you scoring two points the year you were still a manager. You and I are a family, and that's a really unique family for, for managers to have scored in a varsity game. Uh, you ran into um, Bruce, not Bruce, Tony Nante. Which Nante did you run into? Uh, 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 Terry. 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 Terry yeah, Nante. Yeah. Okay, so you know, you know, you know the Nantes, and we we were next door neighbors to them for a while before I ever had him as uh, as a coach. So basketball is a huge family and you don't have to go very far. You can play six degrees of separation and you exactly. can find how you're, you're related to somebody who's related to not just Indiana basketball, but um, Terry Stotts, who's the Portland trailblazers coach, I believe played pickup ball with him uh, in the, the old field house at IU. He was a, uh, uh, a senior at Bloomington North high school. Uh, 
gee, I know a guy. I played uh, I played in an outdoor tournament against Larry Bird, who play, you know, I mean, it's it's a big family, and and I don't want to make a big deal about playing a couple pickup games against Terry Stotts or, but it's it's a it's a huge extended family, and then you eventually you get down to your team, and even within your team. I didn't realize that, you know, the team isn't as unified. The team on the floor is greatly unified, but off the floor, there are, there are cliques, you know. And so it, 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 it goes to your nuclear family and then your extended family and then your 18th cousin twice removed. So it's uh, – uh, and maybe I overthink all of this, but I'm really looking forward to seeing those guys on, on December 6th and the stories. The whole town is invited to – uh, to a meal afterwards, and uh, it'll be, you know, 50 years. Uh, one of the starters from, from my senior year has died, one of the – Paul Bruner, great starting guard uh, from from uh, the state finalist team and, and the team the next year, he's died. Uh, and and at 50 years gone, a lot of the fans who witnessed what we did will be gone. But I'll bet you in Ligoti it'll be one heck of a reception.